Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We thank you for these words. We thank you that they are the very words of the God of the universe, but the God of the universe who wants to call each and every one of us his children and friend. Jesus, we thank you that you said you no longer call us servants, but friends. And so today, as we look at your life, we ask that we would pattern our lives after you and what you have done so we know how we can live as your friends. And so we thank you for this, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we continue our series in the patterns of Jesus, today I want to look about how we're called to pattern our lives around the proclamation of the good news of God's kingdom. What's God's kingdom? God's kingdom, simply put, is his rule and reign on earth as in heaven. That's what Jesus prays for in Matthew. Yet your will will be done on earth as in heaven. So God's kingdom is his rule and reign on earth as in heaven. And so it's this cosmic victory by God. It's his cosmic victory over his enemies and their competing kingdoms. So there's God's kingdom and there's competing kingdoms of his enemies. And God has every intention to win over those kingdoms, defeat them, because of the way they destroy you and me. So we're called, as followers of Jesus, to pattern our lives around proclaiming that God's rule and reign, his cosmic victory, has begun in Jesus. And because of that, it's actually bad news for competing kingdoms, but it's good news for our world. So I want to talk to you quick, uh, take some time to talk about the truth of God's kingdom. We're going to jump around a lot in passages today, but we're really going to be focused in on Mark chapter 1. And I will just give you a heads up. I'm a little bit of a history nerd, so there's going to be some history in there. So if you're a history nerd, you can be thankful for that. If you're like, hey, Evan, I thought this was a three-day weekend from school. Thanks for this. You're going to get some history today as well. But what I want us to really understand is that God's kingdom is bad news for competing kingdoms, and God's kingdom is good news for the world. So let's look at this first, the truth of God's kingdom. Mark chapter 1, 14 through 15 again. Now, after John was arrested, that's John the baptizer, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. God's kingdom reveals the truth about competing kingdoms. So young people, in the first century, as far as most people were concerned, there is one king and one kingdom. And everyone knew who that king was and what the kingdom was. And this kingdom required your allegiance above all else. And you aligned your life to be in step with this kingdom. And they even spoke of the advancement of this kingdom as the gospel to the world, the good news to the world. And some even referred to the king of this kingdom as the son of God. And many even worshipped him. This king was Caesar. And Rome was his kingdom. And everybody knew it. And Rome claimed, check this out, Rome claimed that their rule and reign brought peace on earth. What historians call Pax Romana. And anything that would disturb this peace on earth was seen as a threat to their kingdom. 
But as much as you like to claim to have peace on earth, and Rome loved to claim that they had peace on earth, which is mostly them keeping everybody else quiet or dead who disagreed with them. That's how they got peace. But there's this one group of people, this one people group in particular, who didn't jive with Rome's rule. And they were the Jews. See, the Jews had scriptures that, compl- that claimed that God was the true king, and his kingdom was greater than Rome's. So you think about like Psalm 45, 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And they claim that Caesar was only on the throne because God let him have the throne. Imagine how offensive that is to Caesar. You don't have, the only, Jesus says it's the pilot, right? You would not have any power unless it was given to you. So Daniel chapter 4, 25 says, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God decides who's in charge. So Rome and the Jews didn't get along. And the Jews had a belief circulating at the time that went something like this. God's kingdom, his rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven, is coming soon. And when it comes, he'll kill off the Romans. And he'll put David's son back on the throne. So let's prepare ourselves for it. And so Judaism was split into four groups. N.T. Wright would say that actually it's closer to Judaisms than Judaism. They're so distinct. So you had the Essenes, which we don't really hear much about in the New Testament or really at all. They kind of went out into the hills and they said, we're just going to read our Bibles and pray. And we're going to stay away from the Romans and we're going to do our thing. And that's how we got the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees, what they did, they said, you know what? Rome's not that bad. Look at all the, like, we actually have running water. We have, like, all these systems and these highways. You know what? Maybe this is God's kingdom. So let's just embrace God's kingdom through, that he's bringing about through Rome. And they got a lot of power that way. So that's usually, you know, makes me critical and cynical of why they wanted that. But the main groups that we heard about, we hear about in the New Testament are the zealots, which said, you know, we're going to bring about God's kingdom by killing the Romans. If God's going to wipe them out, why don't we just get started? And the Pharisees decided by, they would have strict obedience to God's law, and then they would add a little bit more. And that's how God would bring about his kingdom, because when he shows up, he's going to say, say, hey, who's really been obedient to me, and who went, a, you know, who went the next mile? Who went the next step? Oh, the Pharisees. Cool. You guys are my people. But then comes this Elijah-like prophet, John the Baptizer, which is not John the Baptist, no offense, Baptist friends, it's John the baptizer. He's this Elijah-like prophet. He dresses in camel's hair, and he eats locusts, and he preaches, and he baptizes out in the wilderness. And he comes, and he calls all people to repent. And he says what? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He used the same language before Jesus. And so you can imagine that John's idea of God's kingdom clashes with competing kingdoms. Competing ideas. The zealots didn't like him. The zealots didn't like him because he's baptizing people instead of arming them. The Pharisees didn't like him because John the Baptist says, hey, God's going to judge you just like he judges the Romans. And that doesn't really fly with the Pharisees. They don't really like that. And the Sadducees and Rome didn't like him because he spoke up against Caesar's puppet king, Herod. And because he's disrupting Rome's peace, what happens? He gets arrested. 
And this is when Jesus comes on the scene, right when John gets arrested. And Jesus, the one who John says would be mightier than I, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. That's how powerful that Jesus is. He comes in after John's arrest and he picks up the mantle. And Jesus claims that God's kingdom has arrived. It's not coming, it has arrived with judgment and good news. Jesus says, time's up, time's up. God's kingdom is here in me. Repent and believe. Repent simply means turn, turn. And it's not just turn from your sins, although I'm sure that's part of it. It is part of it, but it's much bigger than that. It's turn from all your competing kingdom ideas and agendas and give your allegiance to mine and mine alone. And align yourself with my kingdom and join in in advancing my kingdom, God's kingdom, to, into the world. And so that's why God's kingdom is bad news for competing kingdoms. So Jesus will say in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. God's kingdom judges all competing kingdoms because they destroy those who are loyal to them. God has to judge competing kingdoms because they will ultimately destroy anybody who's a part of them. So perhaps it's because I religiously watch soccer. Or maybe I'm coming around to the royal family because I kind of liked Queen Elizabeth II. Or maybe because he looks like Carson Wentz. But I find Prince Harry's revenge tour annoying. My eyes immediately rolled into the back of my head as soon as I saw the documentary pop up on my Netflix feed. I almost gagged last Sunday when I'm watching football, and then all of a sudden there's this commercial for Anderson Cooper's 60-minute interview with Prince Harry. And so, no, I won't be buying your book, Harry. Which I actually saw one person, I didn't read this article, but I thought the headline was fantastic, which he referred to as Prince Harry's 400-page temper tantrum. So look, my thing with Prince Harry and Meghan is like, look, you had a kingdom, you threw it all away, just move on. And part of me is cynical of Harry and Meghan's motives for throwing it all away because the claim was that they threw it all away so they could get free from it. But it seems to me that all they've done is exchange one kingdom for another. Harry wasn't going to be next in line for the British kingdom, let's just be honest. So he exchanged it for a competing kingdom, one that would put him front and center in the eyes of the public rather than the shadow of his brother, the kingdom of American celebrity culture. Like, wow, what a kingdom. I'm not, gonna, I'm not in first place here. How can I be in first place? Let me go to America. And they'll just lap it up. And maybe I'm being too cynical and too hard on Harry, but again, it's probably because he looks like Carson Wentz and I have some things I got to deal with. But that's for me and my therapist to work out. But Jesus says this. He says, turn from your competing kingdoms and be part of mine. Because they're a sham anyway. All competing kingdoms are just shams. In Luke 13, Jesus has this interesting thing. He says, hey, if you choose the way of the zealots, you're going to get us all killed. Which actually happens in year 70. 
where Rome violently crushes a Jewish rebellion and destroys Jerusalem. And he tells the Sadducees, he says, Sadducees, you don't know how to read your Bibles. And he calls out the Pharisees for their legalism. And he says something like this, which is fantastic. Listen to this, what he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 15. It won't be on the screen, just listen. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus says all of these are shams. All these competing kingdoms are going to destroy you. And everyone who's with you, you're going to make them twice the convert of hell as you are. Child of hell as you are. And I bring this all up to give us an awareness of all that Jesus was claiming as part of God's kingdom. He's not just saying, hey, we can go to heaven when we die. They aren't simply claims that, hey, we can create these great social programs if we just start look, trying to make these programs and these policies that look like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus isn't some type of like great social worker. He's not giving us strong ethical teaching where he's not just giving us self-help advice like how to help your marriage or how to be free from anxiety. And truthfully, all those things do come with it. But Jesus' claims about God's kingdom are claims of authority. Authority over your life and our world. Jesus is saying, who gets to run your life and tell you what to do? Think about that for a second. Who gets to run your life and tell you what to do? Whose rule and reign is running your life and our world? And Jesus says, I get to tell you what to do. And in me, God is beginning to set up his rule and reign. In me, he's starting his cosmic victory over his enemies. So it's bad news if you're part of a competing kingdom. Because God's kingdom is the only true kingdom. And Jesus says, instead of staying with competing kingdoms, give your allegiance to me. Align your life with my way. The way I live my life of taking up your cross and following me. He says, advance the kingdom, advance the gospel by proclaiming it in word and deed to our world. See, Jesus' version of God's kingdom will be seen as a threat to competing kingdoms. It will always be seen as a threat. And if we give allegiance to Jesus' kingdom, we align our lives to Jesus' kingdom and advance his kingdom, we'll find ourselves in a dogfight with the competing kingdoms. So what are those competing kingdoms? Well, John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York, who I give great credit for helping me understand the kingdom. He, ha he, gave, he gives a few examples, and I added one, all right, to make it mine, all right? But first, you have the kingdoms of, of Satan, spiritual forces. Look at Ephesians 6, 12, or just listen to it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places. Since Genesis 3, Satan has attempted to exert his authority of his kingdom over God's kingdom. 
But Jesus' inauguration of God's kingdom is judgment on Satan's kingdom. So 1 John 3, 8 will say, says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So when we proclaim God's kingdom, we're participating with God in taking back what's rightfully his. When you and I live our lives with allegiance and we align ourselves with God's kingdom and we advance God's kingdom that Jesus is talking about, what we're actually doing is saying, hey, that's God's. We're taking it back. Like this world doesn't belong to the devil. It belongs to God. And we're saying, no, that's his. No, you can't have that, Satan. It's his. No, you can't have my kids. They're God's. No, you can't have the poor. They're God's. No, you can't have my heart. It's God's. So Jesus will say in Luke 11, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. With Jesus, God's kingdom has already come. It's what, and theologians say, but it's also not yet. It's already, but not yet. That's how God's kingdom is. We're waiting for Jesus to return where he'll make everything complete and God's kingdom will really be seen ruling on earth as in heaven, and we'll see his cosmic victory, but right now we live in the in-between. So we need to be aware that through Jesus, the church has been taking ground for 2,000 years. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus ultimately builds it. Jesus ultimately brings it to completion, but you and I are on the winning side. Too many Christians live like we're on the losing side. That we lack power when we pray. That we have no hope in sickness. That we, when we whine, when we have adversity. The world, looks, the world looks like for us right now may look like we're the L.A. Chargers up 27 nothing, But we're Jacksonville, baby. We got Trevor Lawrence and Dougie P. We're coming back. Go ahead. Feel like you're winning. But we're gonna, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to sink that game-winning field goal. And that's it. You're done. But too many of us don't realize that Jesus ultimately wins. So we need to pattern ourselves like we're winners, not like we're losers. And what's competing kingdoms of Satan? What have they actually, his spiritual forces, what have they set up in our time? And I think there's three things in particular. First is secularism. A couple years back, if, if you remember, at the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, there's this kind of these cultural debates going on. And one I found particularly disturbing was a debate between, what I felt like was a debate between Christians who are offering to pray and the world saying, your prayers aren't enough. Or actually, they're a waste of time. And what it did, it made me realize how secular we are. Because secularism has basically said, hey, Jesus, prayer, church, those are all private things. So keep that over there because we have real work to do over here. And Christians gave in to that. Oh, no, I'll pray. And that will be enough. Oh, we'll just preach the gospel, and that'll be enough. And we need to do those things. But that was exactly what Martin Luther King Jr.'s complaint against white Christians was, that we were essentially so heavenly minded that we were no earthly good. See, God's kingdom is a kingdom of word and deed. Prayer, important. Preaching, important. Action, also important. Jesus prays and he preaches and he heals the sick 
and he forgives sinners, and he feeds the hungry, and he raises the dead. See, we water down God's kingdom when we reduce it simply to praying and preaching. And because of that, secularism is happy to step in and make religion a private thing. And so what it's done is it said, hey, we're going to kick out your pastors and your priests and your churches from public life. And instead, we're going to set up professors, scientists, marketers, and politicians. And they'll be our pastors and priests. And our universities, our laboratories, our boardrooms, and our government buildings, they're going to be our churches. You guys do your thing over here. We're going to do the real work over here. See, secularism has, by and large, though, been destructive. One, secularism has created a culture of death. See, what secularism said was, hey, you know what? Religion has caused a lot of death in the world. A lot of people have been killed in the name of religion, and I'm not taking that away. It actually ha- is true. But studies have shown that more people have died in secular wars than religious ones. And not only the culture of death and war, but you also have things like assisted suicide and abortion. Cultures of death. And also it's promoted inconsistent standards. When it comes to ideology, everyone everywhere is pushing an ideology. And we're told as Christians, don't push your religious ideology on me. Like, what do you think commercials are? They're ideology. They're like, they're digital ideology being pushed on you. Right? You don't think BK, have it your way, isn't pushing an ideology? Hey, if you eat Burger King, you can have it however you want it. That's how life should be lived, your way. And, but we're told you, we can't push our ideology about Jesus. See, if I believe God's kingdom is better than all competing kingdoms, I have to push it. In love and gentleness, of course. I have to push it by proclaiming the gospel. And also what secularism has done is it's devalued institutions. Secularism has destroyed pretty much every institution that upheld society since the beginning of time. Family and religious communities. And Mark Sayers in his book, Non-Anxious Presence, says, hey, institutions are actually invaluable because they help society absorb anxiety. So where we, like, we as Christians will say, Romans chapter 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, but with no institutions like church or family to share the load of our world's anxiety, where does anxiety fall on? Who's it fall on? You, as an individual. And who will that crush when you can't hold up the world's anxiety? You, the individual. So there's secularism is one of Satan's kingdoms, but sacrilege is another one, where we actually have tried in our attempts to combat secularism, many Christians have attempted to bring about God's kingdom back into the public eye through force, either putting power-hungry politicians in power to legislate victory over our enemies, or some have even, who claim the name of Jesus, have taken violence into their own hands and said, this is the way we're going to bring about God's kingdom. But that's not the way of Christ either. That's not God's kingdom. Yes, Jesus inaugurated God's rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And he wants you to give allegiance to it. He wants you to align yourself with it. He wants you to advance it, but not by forcing it through violence 
We're forcing your way. She says, advance this thing. Share the ideology. Show the world what it's like to be a Christian, what God's kingdom looks like by laying down your life for others in love, like I laid my life down for you, Jesus says. And then the last one would be self. Conveniently, these all start with S. Secularism, sacrilege, and self. John Tyson says, we live in a time where we seek to flourish apart from God and hide our weaknesses. Flourish apart from God and hide our weaknesses. The idea that we can flourish apart from God and hide our weaknesses goes straight back to the garden in Genesis 3 where man fell. And what this has done is it's created a false self. See, this is what Harry and Meghan are doing. This is what everyone's doing. Every social media post is a false picture of who you really are. You realize that? No one's ever like, oh, wretched man that I am, as my Facebook status. Instead, we're like, hey, look how great I am. Hey, look how well I'm doing. No one posts the kids screaming and crying before the family picture. Instead, we're like, look how picture perfect my family is. Look how my kids fell in line when they were on the beach and they didn't get anything on their white button downs and khaki pants. Amazing. Look how perfect we look. So not only holding on to the false self, this false picture of you where you try to live life and flourish apart from God but not show anyone your weaknesses, What's going to happen is not only will that mean you'll never be able to get close to anyone because any relationship that's worth anything requires you to actually be vulnerable and show your weaknesses and have your weaknesses known to other people. But also you'll constantly live in fear and worry of your weaknesses being exposed because if you're exposed, you'll be rejected. If people truly knew your weaknesses and how you actually weren't flourishing, they would reject you. It's the lie we tell ourselves. And Jesus invites you to be part of his kingdom where you can be your true self, where you can be open and vulnerable, where you can show your weaknesses and not be rejected, but be accepted into his loving arms. And because of the destruction that satanic, spiritual, secularistic, sacrilegious, false, self-competing kingdoms cause us, God must judge them out of his love for you, because they'll destroy you. And so we must turn from them and believe the gospel, Jesus says. So God's kingdom brings bad news to competing kingdoms, but also good news to the world. Look at the end of verse 15. Believe in the gospel, Jesus says. God's kingdom brings good news to the ashes of the world's destruction. God's kingdom, his rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven, his cosmic victory is built on Jesus' proclamation of God's good news. See, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that good news spreads to all who give their full allegiance to Jesus. And in this, what's happening is God is taking back what's rightfully his, one life at a time, extending his authority over the world. And when you and I take the call to proclaim his kingdom seriously, when we align ourselves with it by putting things like the Sermon on the Mount in practice, where we start trying to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and we're sharing God's love with others and dying to ourselves, what ends up happening, God is 
right, taking back what's rightfully his. He said, no, 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 Evan's mine. She's mine. He's mine. Their neighborhood is mine. Their city is mine. This world is mine. I'm taking it back. It's mine. So where do we go from here? And again, this is John Tyson plus one. And conveniently, all of them start with A. First, awareness. We first need to be aware of the kingdom. What is God's kingdom? It's his rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And what's it about? God's cosmic victory over competing kingdoms. But once you're aware, what are you going to do with that awareness? Like, what are you going to do today when you leave and you're driving home and realizing that you're part of God's kingdom? What are you going to do about that? Will you run back to your competing kingdoms of destruction? Or will you join with the kingdom of God and proclaim it to the world? And then allegiance. We have to be completely loyal to the kingdom. Jesus says in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We are called to be completely loyal to Jesus and his God's, and his God's kingdom as he brings it about in himself. We need to be more loyal to him than anyone or anything else. Even that means we lose everyone and everything else. Anything we're loyal to more than Jesus will ultimately destroy us. And then we're called to alignment. We need to stop aligning ourselves with the things that destroy us. We need to stop aligning ourselves with secularism. We need to stop aligning ourselves with sacrilege. We need to stop aligning ourselves with a false self. Those things will destroy us and start aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Align your life first with this. And aligning looks like maybe for you, maybe it means switching your, aligning your morning routines so they include scripture and prayer. Or your finances to include giving to our church. Or to help, so that we can help fund the proclamation of the good news of God's kingdom. Or maybe it's aligning your skills to include serving on Sundays or serving throughout the week. Or maybe it's aligning your time to include being with other Christians in home meetings and spontaneous things. And then last advancement. If God's kingdom is his cosmic victory, taking back what is rightfully his through Jesus, you and I are called into that. And we should advance God's kingdom by proclaiming it. In word, absolutely. Evangelism? Yeah, absolutely. The whole sermon last week about invitation, you should do. And you should put ping pong balls in the jar. Absolutely. Do that. Jesus calls us to do that. He calls us in word to disciple each other, to be discipled. He calls us to preach his word, but he also calls us not only just word, but also deed. God's kingdom isn't just a private thing, and we're supposed to tell the world it's not just a private thing. We're not going to let you make it a private thing because it can't be. It's always bizarre to me when people want politicians to not allow their religion somehow to shape them. Like, no other ideology works that way, but we're told we have to do that. 
When I come into the world, I have to put that behind, that I'm not a follower of Jesus and I'm advancing God's kingdom. That's my goal. God is going to have victory. I'm the Jaguars, baby. We're going to hit that clutch, uh, that crazy behind field goal at the end. Somehow we're going to come back. But I'm not going to bench my starting quarterback. Not going to leave Jesus on the bench. God's kingdom is a public thing. So that involves things indeed like MLK Day of Service tomorrow. A simple way to advance God's kingdom in a place that doesn't want God's kingdom is to go to a public school and say, hey, we're a church, we're here to make this nicer. Or caring for the poor and needy. Or standing up against racism. Or standing up for immigration reform. Or fighting for stronger marriages. Or helping people be free from anxiety. Well, in some ways you can advance God's kingdom is, hey, I know that what's happening is you're being crushed by the anxiety of the world. Hey, how can I get you to see someone to deal with that? It's a simple way to advance God's kingdom in somebody's life. Help them. But Jesus calls us to pattern our lives after God's kingdom. So let's grow in awareness of it. And let's grow in awareness of the competing kingdoms that are against it. And let's give our allegiance to it, align our lives with it, and advance it together. Let's pray. Hey, before I jump into prayer, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want to give you a moment to silently just ask God to step into your life, to forgive you, and help you join up with his kingdom. And Father, for those of us who do put our faith and trust in you, we ask that we would be people of your kingdom in word and deed, that we be aware of it, that we, be, we would give our allegiance to it, that we align our lives and we advance the good news. Show us the ways to do that. For each of us, it might look a little different. But we thank you for Jesus who has given us a picture of that in his life. We ask all this in his name. Amen.